The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by IBM. Big data at the speed of business. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our armed forces and veterans who are joining us today, as well as listeners who are tuning in on new radio affiliates in Alabama, Oregon, New York, California, Massachusetts, and across all 50 states. Thank you for catapulting the Costa Report to the top nonpartisan weekly news magazine in the country. Today, we're going to deviate just slightly from our regular format to cover a couple of breaking news stories before our scheduled guest, the governor of Washington State, Jay Inslee, joins the program. Governor Inslee has been one of the vocal opponents of the federal crackdown on sanctuary cities, as well as the president's decision to dismantle the clean power plan. Today, we'll have an opportunity to hear how governors are reacting to new federal initiatives and the ever-present threat to cut federal funding for states which fail to comply with federal policy. Is there a showdown in the making? We'll get the story straight from the governor of one of the most successful economies in the nation when Jay Inslee joins us. Since we'll be focusing on domestic issues during this first hour, I wanted to take a moment before Governor Inslee joins us to address the top news story of this week, which, as you know, is the continued nuclear threat by North Korea. Now, as you know, since the mid-60s, we have been trying diplomacy. We have tried economic sanctions so severe that they resulted in massive famine in North Korea. We have tried garnering cooperation from China, which has long been North Korea's lifeline. And to this point, none of these efforts have slowed North Korea's nuclear ambitions. The fact is, over the past several decades... North Korea has become more brazen, more determined, conducted larger, more flamboyant missile tests than ever before. But what I'd like to do today is take a look at the really, really big picture, the one which President George Bush first brought to Americans' attention in his 2002 State of the Union address and for which he was not taken as seriously as perhaps he should have been. Fifteen years ago, the President of the United States warned Americans of the nuclear danger three countries posed, North Korea, Iran, and Iraq. How many of you remember the axis of evil? Now, there's a reason I'm bringing up the axis of evil today, and that's because we have not only known about the danger these nations pose, but also because of their history. And one aspect of their history, which we have to keep in mind, is the fact that Iran has been purchasing weaponry from North Korea since going back all the way to the early 80s. Now, this is a really important connection to make because as North Korea begins to perfect their nuclear arsenal, we can expect that Iran will be the first customer in line to get their hands on that weaponry. They always have been. The fact is North Korea has been an arms supplier to the Middle East for many, many decades. But for some reason, the mainstream media and government leaders have given the impression that the Iran nuclear agreement 
and North Korea's nuclear development program are separate and unrelated. But in 2002, President Bush made it clear that these threats were not unrelated when he triangulated them and called them the axis of evil. And we didn't heed his warning quite as seriously as we should have. Now, we began with Iraq, and then we left the door open for ISIS to take root and thrive. We negotiated a a nuclear agreement with Iran, which permits that country to develop nuclear weapons further down the road. Or worse yet, allows Iran to comply with agreement requirements while outsourcing to North Korea. And we have permitted North Korea to continue developing dangerous weaponry. Weaponry it's willing to export to longtime arms customers such as Iran and factions in Iraq. In other words, we have allowed George Bush's axis of evil to continue. We've ignored it, hoping against hope that individual economic sanctions and individual negotiated agreements with each separate country would be enough to discourage their ambitions. But in that process, we failed to develop a cohesive plan to deal with the axis itself. And if there's one single change, one single strategic change the current administration can make, it is this, to develop a cohesive policy and strategy which deals with North Korea, Iraq, Iran, and now Syria as one threat, not four separate threats. Now, if you've listened to this program for any period of time, you know that my background is in science and my area of expertise is in complex systems. And when it comes to highly complex dynamic systems, I can tell you that it rarely works when you try to treat just one element. We saw this when, when it came to fixing the healthcare system. We tried to fix the insurance coverage issue, but we didn't quite address the drug and treatment costs or the laws which prohibit interstate competition. And what happened? Well, we didn't quite achieve the, the impact of the reform that we intended. And why did that happen? Because we only treated one molecule, one part of the system. Systemic problems have to be fixed systemically. And that means looking at all the dots at the same time and understanding how they're interrelated. In other words, you have to treat the whole patient. You can't just treat one molecule. It does not work. When it comes to North Korea, the best thing the Trump administration can do is is something as simple as zooming out and address the systemic issue of nuclear proliferation and terrorism from a truly systemic standpoint. We need to look at the entire machine, not focus on the individual dials on the machine. North Korea is only one dial. So is Iran, and so is Iraq. And when we begin to look at all of these threats in a cohesive way as one threat, we'll begin finally to come to terms with President Bush's axis of evil. Oh, I know, I know that that phrase, axis of evil, is going to get a reaction out of you. It almost sounds like something out of a comic book. And, and, And in some ways... Uh, People scoffed at President Bush's threat. But today, we can see that that triangulation had some meaning. President Bush was looking ahead at that interrelationship between North Korea, Iraq, and Iran. One that we can see has grown progressively more dangerous as time has passed. So, I guess my point is this. It's a a simple one. It's you cannot treat the individual components. At some point, you have to back off and, and look at the big picture, look at the systemic threat 
that nuclear proliferation poses. Look at the systemic threat that terrorism poses and then create a solution that is cohesive and addresses that complex system. Now, on that note, we're going to take a short break. And when we return, we'll turn our focus to domestic issues. Next up, the governor of Washington State, Jay Inslee. He'll be here to talk about sanctuary cities, the Clean Power Act, and how governors are responding to the president's budget proposal. You're listening to the Costa Report. Big data is changing the way organizations work. From data-driven marketing and ad targeting to the connected car, Big Data is fueling product innovation and new revenue opportunities. It's creating a culture in which business and IT leaders join forces to realize value from all data. They infuse analytics everywhere and make speed a differentiator, gaining competitive advantage from faster, more informed decisions. Leading organizations are creating new business models, developing new roles, and defining new big data architectures, including an infrastructure that can manage and process exploding volumes of structured and unstructured data, in motion as well as at rest, while protecting data privacy and security. Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash big data today. Do you remember the Ebola epidemic? Dr. Kent Brantley faced the darkness of that disease head on. He contracted Ebola while serving as a medical missionary in Liberia. I thought I was going to die. I was incredibly sick, dehydrated, and was having trouble breathing and I looked at the nurse who was standing next to my bed and I said, I don't know how you're going to breathe for me when I quit breathing. But Kent survived thanks to a blood transfusion, some experimental drugs, and lots of prayer. People ask me, do you have survivor guilt? And I say, no, I, I think I have survivor responsibility. I've got to use my life in a way that's meaningful and helpful to other people. Kent Brantley was able to face the darkness of Ebola because of his relationship with Jesus. And you can face the darkness in your life once you surrender your heart to Jesus. Learn how at findpeacewithgod.net. We're the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Hi, everyone. It's MZ with an important message about Longevity products. We will soon be closing the Dave Cave at KSCO and replacing it with 10 convenient retail locations in Santa Cruz County and in Monterey County. I'm looking for 10 existing businesses to stock basic longevity products such as Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, Pollen Burst, and other top-selling longevity products. We will promote those businesses regularly and continuously on KSCO and KOMY and train those business owners to build a satisfying and lucrative longevity business that could quite possibly earn more, maybe much more money for those business owners than their main business itself all while they help people feel better and hopefully live longer. If you are such a business owner who would like to join our growing KSCO health team, send an email with your contact information to mz at ksco.com. Or if you know a business owner, tell that owner to send me an email, same address, mz at ksco.com. Is your computer running real slow like this? Or are you getting the blue Blue screen screen of of death? death? Do you have to do a restart several times a session? Tired of viruses, spyware, malware, and slow, worthless tech support? Face it, it's too late to download another free PC Fix-It program, thinking it'll be restored to out-of-box purity. Oh, no, 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 no. You need the fast, friendly computer pros at User-Friendly Computing. Just drop it off at their office at 505 River Street across from the Gateway Plaza. Or give them a call at 831-423-9653 and they'll come to you. Mention KSCO and get a free $50 diagnostic. PC or Mac, desktop or laptop, they can do it all at user-friendly computing. Call 831-423-9653. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is the popular governor of Washington State, Mr. Jay Inslee. Thank you for joining us today, Governor. 
Thank you for uh, uh, asserting I'm popular. That that's a small group, but but they're friends. <laughs> well, from what I hear, you are one of the most innovative and popular governors in our nation, and you know, and, and so we were excited to have you on the program. And I'll tell you why, because we want to check in with governors to see how they're reacting to some of these new federal policies. And you are a governor of a state that's home to several major sanctuary cities, including Seattle. Uh, So I I, I wanted to ask you about sanctuary cities. Uh, This term sanctuary means different things in different areas, but for the most part, it seems to refer to whether a state uh, is obligated to notify immigration and customs enforcement when they become aware of an undocumented individual. Is is that about right? Well, I think even uh, a more intense uh, effort to uh, to force actions uh, by by President Trump on local communities is to force local police agents to arrest people at the direction of the uh, of the administration, and that is actually the more principal. Uh, objection they have to what we consider the constitutional uh, right of our cities to be, to focus on law enforcement rather than to be many uh, immigration officials. For the Trump administration, that's actually the larger part of the controversy. And I, when you're asking how we're reacting, what you know, we're we're reacting as we have on multiple issues, which is I I think the 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 administration has been unhinged and we've been unintimidated because we stand on rock solid constitutional ground uh that it is clear that local law enforcement agencies cannot be forced to arrest people based just on a direction from the immigration officials and in fact it's clearly unconstitutional to do so because there's no right to do so it's also bad law enforcement and we focus on law enforcement you know governors we're where the rubber meets the road we we govern we don't we're not just sort of ideological creatures and we really want strong law enforcement and that means we want victims of domestic violence to be willing to call police officers when they're if they're victims of domestic violence not be afraid to do so because they're afraid that local police or immigration agents we want witnesses at the scene of a car crash to come forward and say what happened rather than to be reluctant so for a lot of reasons we intend to be very uh unintimidated and, and to continue to protect the right to provide good law enforcement for our communities. And, and I, I'm very confident we're going to succeed on that. If the president uh, does try to go forward with this, he makes a lot of rhetorical statements that he doesn't back up. If he really does try to go forward on this, um, I believe the judicial system will, as it has already, protect my state. Well, let's separate the two things. One, you're saying you don't want to use local law enforcement to arrest undocumented individuals. How about reporting them? Do you have an obliga- legal obligation to report them to immigration? No, there is not a legal obligation to do so in that regard. And uh, we we believe the judicial system will will make that clear over time, again, if, in fact, the president moves forward. Now, there's a lot of... Uh, barriers that would prevent the president from taking away money for local law enforcement in in any event. First off, he doesn't have statutory authority to do so. Uh, the, the grant program that he seeks to threaten, he does not have the ability to pick winners and losers absent some additional statutory authority. And I really don't believe he's going to get additional statutory authority because local officials, Republicans and Democrats, are are raising a hue and cry against this. Our local sheriff's association, which is Democrat and Republican sheriffs in my state, have written a letter uh, uh, contradicting and and standing up against this policy because we want effective law enforcement. So uh, even if he wanted to, the statutes do not allow him to do this. And again, I think this is an example of one of the many cases where the statements that uh, the president has made are not going to come to pass, and I'm, I'm hopeful that they will not. So you don't feel that federal funds to states that harbor sanctuary cities or do not arrest or report undocumented individuals is legal and can be enforced? Correct. I do not believe that's Mm -hmm. legal. The president, first off, does not have statutory authority to act within some executive discretion to pick winners and losers at his discretion. He does not have that authority under the federal law, nor is there a constitutional principle that would obligate local law enforcement to do other than their job, which is to prevent local crimes. Now, I'll say this. There's one caveat on this. 
if -hmm. there is an arrest warrant, if there is a judicial warrant for someone's arrest, our local officials will honor that warrant. In other words, if there is a judicial process, if the law is followed and there is an arrest warrant issued, our state patrol will effectuate that warrant just like they would for any other warrant. If there's a warrant from Wisconsin, my state patrol will effectuate it. If there's a warrant that actually goes through the the legal means, we will enforce that. So, so we're we're intent on following the law here. Uh, that's a good place to stand, and we're standing on the law in this regard. Yeah, it's very interesting. The country seems to be very uh, schizophrenic about how they feel about sanctuary cities. Uh, you know, a recent poll said something like 80% of Americans oppose sanctuary cities. But it was interesting that the poll following that said that something like 50 to 60% were against the federal government even attempting to withhold funds to states that that had sanctuary cities. So we seem to not be of one mind about these sanctuary cities. Well, I think that when you really look at what the president is threatening, he is at least rhetorically threatening federal assistance to small towns to be able to fight uh, crime, gang gang efforts, opioid addiction uh, uh, programs. You know, we've mm-hmm. got an opioid epidemic right now. We've got gang problems in a variety of our communities. And so he essentially is threatening to cut off the spigot of federal assistance to help small towns and local police departments fight gangs. Now, that is not going to go over well if you come home uh, as a mayor or a county councilman or a governor and say, uh, geez, the president just decided he's decided to to hurt us in our efforts to fight uh, gangs that are terrorizing your neighborhood. So when it gets right, when push comes to shove, as I've said, there are many things this president has said that do not come to pass. Uh, And I think this is one of them, because when it comes down to it, Republican mayors, Republican sheriffs, Republican governors are not going to be pleased with an effort to make it more difficult for us to fight crime in our neighborhoods. And that's what he's threatening to do. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's going to wash. It's not going to play uh, in Peoria or anywhere else in this country. And that's why I believe that uh, uh, this is a threat that will not be fulfilled successfully. Well, I know there's a lot of people that are breathing a sigh of relief to hear you say that, <laughs> well, particularly there are many, in law enforcement. There, there are many other reasons to hold your breath about the administration, not just this one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, but it is interesting that, uh, you know, that maybe some kind of a compromise can be reached over a period of time. Maybe it's not so much using local law enforcement to make arrests and perhaps not cutting funding, which is a form of extortion uh, to some extent. Um, uh, maybe stepping away from those and saying, can we have some information sharing? Uh, well, I, I, is I that think, a common ground, do you think, that Democrats and Republicans could get together on? There is to some degree. We do that right now. We mm-hmm. actually do have a statute that allows notification when there are criminals in our in our state, mm-hmm. in our judicial system. We actually do uh, talk to, to uh, immigration about that. That's appropriate Very good. to do. Very good. We, we have to take a scheduled break, but stay tuned. We'll be back with more from Governor Jay Inslee. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars. How is Caraccioli able to grow so quickly in popularity and still maintain that special attention to detail from the field to the bottle? What's the secret? There is no secret. It's just hard work. Um, (laughs) It's something that you got to put a lot of effort in, a lot of time in. You can't cut corners. Bubbles are inherently naked, so your flaws are exposed. And when that's the case, you have to be diligent on the front end and go the extra mile to make sure that you don't cut those corners and that you do things the right way. We're in a ideal location and being able to harvest at optimal pick points, produce these grapes in the best way possible. You have great fruit and you go through these different steps and at the end you end up with a unique product that showcases the fruit in a different way. You can order any of our products directly from us by visiting our website, caracciolisellers.com or calling the tasting room directly, 831-622-7722. Omega New will hold its 27th annual Ducky Derby and Carnival at Harvey West Park on Saturday, April 22nd from 10.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Admission is free. We will be there, rain or shine. Adopt ducks on our website, duckyderbysantacruz.org, or at the event. You'll have a chance to win many wonderful prizes. 
There will be delicious food, carnival games, music, entertainment, and of course the duck races. Proceeds benefit local charities, scholarship recipients, and classroom teachers. Coast Paper and Supply, a proud member of Think Local First, is positively impacting our environment. They're providing green businesses with eco-friendly cleaners, food service products, and other biodegradable items. Coast Paper and Supply is located at 151 Josephine Street in Santa Cruz and is open weekdays 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. You can give them a call at 831-423-3350. That's 831-423-3350. Or visit CoastPaperSupplyInc.com. Hi, registered pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years. And what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. The gallbladder is a little biological bag designed to hold bile in preparation for digestion of fats, and it's a favorite target for surgical removal. Over half a million of them are yanked out of patients' abdomens every year. Although doctors will tell you that you can live just fine without the bag of bile, as it turns out, nothing could be further from the truth. Bile is the key player in the processing of dietary fats, and while it's true that some of the fat-dissolving biochemical detergent can be squirted onto food directly from the liver, without a gallbladder, it's going to be much more difficult for the digestive system processing and absorption of numerous nutrients, including fats and essential fatty acids, vitamins, and thousands of plant chemicals that play a key role in health, healing, and anti-aging. In fact, without this little sack of tissue, you're going to run higher risks for pretty much any health condition you can name. Digestive issues, including gastritis and chronic diarrhea, are particularly likely and not surprising possible side effect. So are skin issues like psoriasis and eczema, and you may have to deal with hyperpigmentation and accelerated aging, too. Even cancer is on the short list for post-gallbladder removal misery. Best way to prevent gallbladder problems is to eliminate problem foods and improve digestion. Food intolerances are typically associated with gallstone formation. Using a good probiotic and eating fermented foods can be helpful. Consider lecithin and bile salts after fatty meals. And because gallbladder issues can impair the absorption of fatty nutrients, you're going to want to make sure you're supplementing with essential fatty acids, fatty vitamins, and minerals. Pharmacist Ben here urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos, too, at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is the governor of Washington State, Mr. Jay Inslee. And before the break, we were talking about how governors and local mayors and law enforcement are responding to pressures to abolish sanctuary cities and cut funding to states which harbor undocumented individuals. Now, another area where there appears to be some misalignment between federal policy and the priorities of governors seems to be the Clean Power Plan and the uh, uh, the new administration's position on climate change. Can you speak to that for a moment? How are you governors got, handling that? Well, not all the governors are handling it the same, but the way we're handling it is to have an unabashed, uh, unreduced effort to build a clean energy economy. And we're just going gangbusters in our state by replacing fossil fuels, both in our electrical generating system and in our transportation system at a rapid clip, because we are embracing whole new industries involving clean energy technology. And one of, there's a lot of great things about my state, but one of the greatest is we're really leading this revolution in the clean energy economy. I, uh, last week I was at a company that is building the first, uh, well, actually the world's biggest vanadium flow uh, battery that you can put on your electric grid and, and integrate renewable energy much more effectively. Uh, two days ago, I was at Western Washington University where they've developed the new way to uh, turn windows essentially into photovoltaic cells to generate electricity. I was in Moses Lake uh, two weeks ago where we have the world's largest manufacturer of carbon fiber that goes into electric cars. So we are generating uh, uh, jobs by the bucketful. It's really the fastest growing industry uh, in the United States for jobs is, is in clean energy right now. And we're undeterred in that effort. Uh, we know we have in the White House a president who uh, has called climate change a hoax, but we look at this as, as an opportunity as much as an environmental 
challenge, and that's why this has resonated as well. I've been elected twice on this issue, very specifically urging my state to continue this clean energy job creation uh, effort, and it's worked, and people see the results, and that's why they're embracing it. I think it's a, an important message uh, for my party, since Lee, for both parties. It'd be great if they embrace it. We are also moving to restrain carbon pollution from our multiple policies, so I have put in place a rule that limits the amount of carbon pollution from major uh, industrial polluters in my state. This is pursuant to our state clean air rule, and that's important because it's based on our local or state uh, clean air rule. It cannot be stopped by President Trump. So even if President Trump calls climate change a Chinese hoax, we are acting on it, and we can't be uh, stopped or slowed down on these efforts uh, by the federal government. Now, I'm not alone. Uh, we are in consortium with Oregon and California and the West Coast, British Columbia and Canada. We're moving in concert in this direction, and uh, the rest of the world is as well. In fact, I was at the UN a couple weeks ago talking to the world about this, and the world's moving in this direction. We want to help lead it. Yeah, as much as uh, states can act on their own autonomously to develop their own policies on clean energy, clean air, as you know, the president's proposed budget has a 30 percent cut in EPA funding, which means less money for research and oversight, not only for uh, climate change, but also water and soil contamination. Uh, This puts an additional burden on the states. How do governors plan to deal with this? Well, actively, as I've said, uh, it is clear the president wants to disable the Environmental Protection Agency from protecting the environment. And if that sounds like a, a bad irony, it is. It's a very sad situation. We we have to step up our game. Now, we've been acting on, on this regardless, but it does impose a greater obligation on us uh, to act. We've got to protect the science uh, and the scientifically integrity of our scientists. I'm actually going to a rally Tomorrow, there's uh, something like 500 rallies around the world to march in favor of science and scientists. And I think that's very important to maintain scientific uh, scientific integrity. And that's just uh, not just in climate change, but to allow research into genetics, which is going uh, full scale. You know, we have potential cures for some cancers right now pending in our research labs in, 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 in Washington State. So we don't want to see diminution of that federal investment. Unfortunately, the president has proposed a reduction in federal investment in science, and we've got to pick up the slack. That's why in my state, I have uh, created a clean energy research center at the University of Washington and Washington State University. Our research labs and our universities now are moving forward, even if the federal government wants to reduce its investment in science. It really is, you know, when you think of America, we've given the world free speech, freedom of religion, and the world's greatest scientific uh, advances in the last couple of centuries. We've got to keep that going, and that means states now now need to lead the charge, and we're doing that. When you look at a budget cut like 30% for the EPA, that's and you know some of the work, obviously, that you're doing in climate change is funded through federal funds uh, and through the EPA. So that's got to put additional financial pressure on you as a governor. Yeah, and actually, the largest impact to us that I'm most concerned about are on more local water quality and air quality issues. Mm-hmm. Puget Sound is, you know, one of the great jewels in the crown of our estuaries, where our salmon and our orca and our oysters are. And the president has has really threatened to gouge the uh, federal investment in our clean water efforts to keep stormwater and pollution out of Puget Sound. That has been a huge bite. It has a more local impact. On the climate change sector, what I'm most concerned about is that the president's overall refusal uh, to act to and somehow regulate pollution and bring pollution uh, under control. And I'm very concerned about that because even if the president facially does not pull the United States out of the Paris Climate Agreement, where the world has agreed to move forward, that includes the large nations of the world, even if he doesn't pull us out of that pact, he has proposed scuttling eliminating and knocking down virtually every single effort that our federal government had in place to reduce carbon emissions. And that is that is very dangerous uh, to my grandchildren. Like I said, our state's going to move forward regardless, but it's going to slow down some of the other states that don't have governors that want to act on this subject. So that's my biggest concern, together with these reductions in local efforts uh, to help us with our local clean water um, uh, efforts. 
Is this something, you know, when you think about climate change, right, it doesn't stop at your state's borders. So this idea that you can uh, distribute the responsibility to each individual state doesn't make a lot of sense to me. In fact, doesn't make a lot of sense that every country has its own initiatives either because the wind and the ocean carry, you know, pollution to other countries as well. Uh, So... This idea that we're going to now, you know, let every state determine what their clean energy policy is going to be, what their pollution policy is going to be. How do you make sense of that? Well, it obviously would be much preferable if the nation acted as a whole in this regard. It is clear that would be the most effectual. But that absence of federal leadership increases our responsibility to act, increases our motivation to act, and to some degree increases our political ability to act in states, because it is even more necessary now. And the way I look at this is, look, we may be, uh, you know, less than 1% of the world's population, but we have a 100% moral obligation to all of our grandchildren. uh, And that's just a moral obligation. And every person in society and county and state and nation in the world shares that responsibility, and and it just can't be shirked. And uh, if it was shirked, you know, we're all going to, we're all in this soup together and our grandkids are going to fry together. So I look at this as, again, uh, both a moral responsibility and an economic opportunity. And I've always believed that when there is a transition in the world, America does really, really well. When there's an industrial transition, we do well because we are very technologically adept. We've, uh, my state has given the world the best software, the best uh, jets, and we intend to give the world the best clean energy resources. So we look at this as a not just a moral uh, platform for action, but an economic opportunity as well, and, and that's a, cure, uh, a sure winner. So we don't want to be stuck in the last industrial age uh, as <laughs> China and India and, and, and other countries seize this economic opportunity. We want to give the world the products they need, and we're doing that today. Absolutely, and Washington certainly has the innovative workforce to make that happen. You bet. We- We have to take another break, but we'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. You're listening to The Costa Report. Have you racked up more than $10,000 in credit card debt? Are you barely getting by, making minimum payments? You should know. The credit card companies are tricking you into thinking there's no way out. Credit card companies would rather you didn't know that there are ways you can become debt-free and you don't have to pay the entire amount you owe. There are debt relief programs that help people like you escape overwhelming credit card debt. National Debt Relief has helped tens of thousands of people just like you reduce more than $500 million of debt. National Debt Relief has helped so many people, they're A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. You don't have to declare bankruptcy or take out a consolidation loan. You have the right to settle your debt for a mere fraction of what you owe. Reduce a large portion of your debt now. Call National Debt Relief at 800-314-7417. 800-314-7417. That's 800-314-7417. Here's George Foreman with InventHelp. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. Call InventHelp today for free information. InventHelp has been helping inventors for more than 30 years and has sales offices nationwide. InventHelp can submit your invention to companies who are interested in receiving new ideas. If you have an idea and want to try to patent it and submit it to companies, you should call InventHelp today for free information. Listen, I can't guarantee a company will be interested in your idea, but I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-350-9514. That's 1-800-350-9514. Again, 1-800-350-9514. 
Hey guys, pardon the advertising interruption to your radio program. Do yourself a favor and please listen carefully. If you have tried or wanted to try Viagra or other male prescriptions in the last few years, you need to hear about Noxitril, the super pill that will transform your sex life forever. You see, Noxitril has been formulated and developed in U.S. FDA labs, and it's the real deal. Noxitril works, period. Strong, explosive results that increase blood flow fast. And best of all, there are no side effects like prescription meds. After years of research, the developers of Noxitril got it right. This remarkable pill is off the charts. Right now, we encourage you to take advantage of our incredible free bottle offer. So what are you waiting for? Noxitril. It's that good. Call now and find out how to get a free bottle of Noxitril while supplies last. Call 1-800-480-5681. That's 800-480-5681. Free bottles for a limited time, so call now. 800-480-5681. 800-480-5681. When you think of local, I want you to think of quality health care where you live. Think of local primary care physicians, local specialists, and local patient care coordinators. From Boulder Creek to Watsonville, Physicians Medical Group provides care from 100 locations throughout Santa Cruz County. PMG's patient care coordinators are the team you call when you need answers. To learn more about local health care with Physicians Medical Group, visit pmgscc.com or call 831-465-7800. Saturday evening, 8 till 9, it's a question of balance with me, Ruth Copland. This week, my guests are multi-award-winning science fiction authors Corey Doctorow and John Scolzi. Corey and John are hugely popular, prolific writers with fans around the world. John Scolzi is one of the most acclaimed science fiction authors to emerge in the last decade, and Corey Doctorow is known as a cyber visionary. I'm excited to talk to them prior to their appearance in Santa Cruz on April 26th. Join us Saturday, 8 to 9 p.m. Welcome back to the Costa Report, now available live in all 50 states. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, we are speaking today with the governor of Washington State, Mr. Jay Inslee. Now, Governor, you were an enthusiastic supporter of the Affordable Care Act, but uh, I think you'd agree there's no question that some states are struggling with rising premiums and insurance carriers pulling out of their exchanges because of unbalanced risk pools and other reasons. How is Washington State faring when it comes to Obamacare? I think we've been one of the more successful states in the country. We've uh, reduced our inflation rate uh, by from 16% to below 6%. It's down to 2% our Medicaid population. We have over 150 policies being offered We've uh, we've got 50,000 new jobs of people working in the healthcare industry. This has been an economic development tool as well as a thing to help families with their health. We've reduced our uncompensated care by more than 60%. So I would have to say we have had very robust success, and we have 750,000 people today who have coverage. If they get a lump on their breast, they can go in and see their doctor. And I've, I remember talking to a woman in Spokane who said, that's the only reason I went in. And I wouldn't have gone in had I not had insurance, and I'm alive today because of this. So we've had great success with health care reform, and that's why I'm adamantly opposed to the Republican efforts to diminish the protection of people in my state and reduce the successes that we have had already. I was a, a person very active in getting this passed. It was very, very difficult. Now, I understand there has been some different results in different states, and what you find is some of the states that have not been as successful are states that have not embraced Medicaid expansion. We embrace Medicaid expansion, and because of that, we have 600,000 more people have coverage. It's a tremendous tool in fighting the opioid epidemic. We have 50,000 people in my state who have been able to get treatment for alcohol and, and drug uh, difficulties because of health care. Other states have not been as aggressive in helping to have really proactive uh, efforts to bring medical care into the this century. We we're we are for instance we are integrating our physical and mental health care systems in our state. There's no reason to have separate stovepipes. These things are so related to one another and because we are integrating those systems, we can provide people a lot better care. We are very much uh focusing on preventative care to prevent problems, prevent diabetes prevent and have early detection of cancer. These prevention things works. And I think if you combine 
the available resources of the Obamacare with a very uh, proactive, preventative model and of a comprehensive okay. model of integrating, you can do great things than we have. It seems when I speak to other governors that the big difference between successful programs like the one you have in Washington and elsewhere where they seem to be struggling with these exchanges seems to be Medicaid expansion, whether the governors had foresight to act on that. You're right. It, it is. And as I indicated, most of the states that have, have not have had suboptimal results did not extend Medicaid. And when, mm-hmm. when you expand Medicaid, what you have is you, you, you reduce the risk to the private insurance market. So the private insurance market is much more amenable to come in. They feel there's a lot uh, more manageable risk. They have better numbers. It just works all the way around. And so that's why we are hopeful that Medicaid will be expanded, not contracted, and this threat to contract it and and sort of starve it over time by creating a block grant program. And that word is very dangerous. It sounds quite benign, but a block, block grant, um, as the Republicans have proposed, basically wants to block people from being able to afford Medicaid to starve uh, the states so that we will have less coverage under Medicaid or less people covered by Medicaid, either one or not acceptable because they also jeopardize the private market. Those things are too tied, and that's why we've been successful. And by the way, it's Republican governors. Republican governors have embraced Medicaid expansion, as you know. Yes, absolutely. And uh, some of them have spoken vocally against this effort to degrade Medicaid because they understand how important it is, not just to the people who are on Medicaid, but to the people who are on private insurance coverage as well. And here's the reason. If you don't have Medicaid expansion, what happens is is that we who are lucky enough to have coverage through our employers, we end up pecking up the tag through our premiums because the hospitals have to get paid. If somebody comes into their emergency room with no insurance, they still have to take care of them. That's right. They've got to transfer those costs over to you and I who are lucky enough to have uh, health insurance through our private carrier. Their premiums have to go up. So this this helps everybody in our society, not just the poor, not just the working poor, but also those of us who are healthy enough and happy enough to have coverage. And it's really working. So we're going to fight like the Dickens. I'm glad we've been successful to date. I'm hearing the the effort that the Trump wants to try to rekindle this effort. But we we got to be very, uh, very attentive to this because there's a lot of uh, smoke and mirrors. I'll give you an example. I heard a proposal that uh, was part of a tentative settlement I've heard about that would basically, through a subterfuge, take away the protection of people to be able to get coverage when you have a pre-existing condition. This is absolutely fundamental. We have to be able to get insurance. If you've got diabetes, if you've got cancer, you still have to be able to get insurance. This is a human right. It is unacceptable anywhere in America, any state in America, to deny somebody insurance because they happen to have diabetes. And this is very much at risk because this potential compromise through a subterfuge and, and clever language would essentially allow various states to opt out of that protection. That's just unconscionable. I don't believe it'll pass the U.S. Senate. We shouldn't let it pass the U.S. House. And people need to be very attentive about this because there's some sharp knives out there that basically want to carve up health care. And we've got to be a, a very alert. Well, Governor, uh, I thank you for your time today. We're just about uh, out of time for this hour. But uh, before we let you go, let me thank you for shedding some light on sanctuary cities, uh, insurance policies, uh, as well as uh, the Clean Power Act uh, from a governor's standpoint. You know, I I, I, I agree with you. I think this is going to, you know, these changes that are being made in Washington are going to put a lot of pressure on governors of states uh, both financially and from a leadership standpoint, but also an opportunity for uh, to act in a way that uh, maybe they haven't had before. So uh, we thank you for your uh, time today, Governor Inslee, and we hope you'll come back soon. Thank you. It's been an honor. This is a pretty uh, intellectual discussion on your show, so thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, come back soon. You bet. Thank you. Well, Before we close out our first hour, uh, I want to take a minute to ask you a question that has been burning me up. And and I'll tell you, because it has so much to do with how our economy does. 
are you hiring? And if you are, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites, cover every single base, and now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. ZipRecruiter is the most efficient way to find any job opening, whether you're looking for an executive an experienced specialist, or you have an entry-level position to fill, ZipRecruiter is the fastest and easiest way to find the ideal person for the job. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies as well as thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. And right now, listeners of the Costa Report can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com report. That's right. It's completely 100% free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash report. One more time to post your job on over 100 sites for free and do it only one time. It'll go to all 100 sites. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash report. And that just about wraps our first hour. If your station is leaving us after this first hour, my guest next week is Rhode Island Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. What a name that is. Sheldon Whitehouse, it sounds like he could write novels for a living. He's going to be here to discuss the specific infrastructure commitments needed to create jobs in this country and rebuild America. And anybody who has been driving on these old ancient bridges and roads with potholes in them and and uh, boy, I'll I'll tell you, I, I just heard a story in my neighborhood about a woman who sued uh, the uh, county because there was damage to her car uh, from driving in one of these mega potholes. So Senator Sheldon Whitehouse will be here next week, right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Stay tuned for a second hour of the Costa Report coming your way in just a few moments. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 